This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. You know, everybody loves a good love story, right? Uh, Be it the Jack and Rose of the Titanic story or the Cleopatra story. Uh, It could be the Romeo and Juliet, the high school, uh, you know, the high school lesson in the, you know, the English uh, class that we all took. Uh, It it was probably Gone with the Wind. Um, But but all these great love stories have uh, something very much in common. They're they're, they're a great buildup of events and and stories that captivate us, captivate us and pull us into uh, what, what is kind of an emotional roller coaster, uh, if you ask me. Uh, but I must say that, you know, the greatest story of love is that of God's love for his chosen people, Israel. Uh, the more you study the word of God uh, throughout the Old Testament, you see this persevering God, this God that relentlessly pursues his people, or the people that he calls his own, which are the people of Israel. See, the history of this nation that is scattered across the ages and pages of the Bible is kind of mind-boggling, if you ask me, all right? And of the many verses available, I call your attention as I want to I wanna start off with this verse uh, from the words of the prophet Hosea. In chapter number 11 and verse 1 to 4, Hosea chapter number 11, verses 1 to 4. The Bible says this, and we're having the verses on the screen today, so y'all could follow on the screen as well. The Bible says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to Baals and burnt incense to carved images. There's this pain in this verse. He says, I taught Ephraim or Israel how to walk taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. Can I pray for the word real quick? Father, we we ask God that you will speak to us through this word today as we continue this series and as we dive into the word and as we dissect the word. God, would you speak to our hearts today? And I pray, God, that your word will come alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. We titled this series Rated R uh, because we're, we're, we're revisiting what we're calling Sunday school stories, Sunday school lessons from, where, where, if you grew up in church, you probably had Sunday school, you probably had kids church where you learned different Sunday school stories. And uh, more than often, they were the PG version of many of the stories. And some of these stories you probably didn't even learn in Sunday school because there was no PG version of the story. Today's story is one of those stories where you probably didn't learn it in Sunday school. You probably heard a sermon or two of it. But I want to try to illustrate what I consider to be the second most powerful picture of God's love in the Bible. Other than Christ's death, there is no greater picture of love that the Bible portrays to us. See, this love story is based upon an actual historical facts. Okay, and like I said earlier, there's this roller coaster of emotions that you probably will go through as I go through this story. See, I don't know the little intricate or intimate details, and a lot of it has been left out, 
But there's so many pieces that you can put together to form this story in its entirety. But using the facts as I have read them in the Word, I want to weave a story that's absolutely accurate in its development and in its outcome. Before I'm probably done with this message this morning, you probably might think I'm exaggerating, I'm probably stretching this, and I'm probably saying things that don't make sense, that I'm stretching the truth beyond the characteristics or the constraints of believability, but I promise you, I am not. Everything that I say is true, and this is straight from the Word of God. Charles Holt actually writes this beautiful story about this story, and this is how he writes it, and because I don't want to take away from the intensity of how he writes, I want to read for a few minutes of, of, of this short story that he writes before I get into the Word. He says, the story is set up outside a large village somewhere in the land of Israel. It's mid-afternoon as shepherds lead their sheep towards pasture lands and nearby hills. A few goats being driven uh, towards the town's marketplace, bleeding away. Merchant shops are open and they're doing brisk business. We're aware of the sounds of citizens who are haggling for a better price in the marketplace. A donkey approaches from behind. It's loaded with sacks of grain. Its owner is somewhat in a hurry. The closer that we move towards the heart of the village, we become aware of the sound of many voices just down the road. We see a throng consistingly mostly of men who are gathered in this loose semicircle of sorts. It is then that we can distinguish one voice above all others. It's the voice of the auctioneer. We arrived in a time to observe what happens to an auction of a slave girl, something that was very common back in Israel at that point in time. The auctioneer's hoarse voice rings out, I have a bit of five shekels for this slave woman. Can I hear seven? Someone on the left says seven, seven, seven. The bidding continues as the auctioneer cajoles and he begs for higher, a higher amount. We are curious to know more about this person who is the object of such shame and disgrace. For if a person had to be sold as a slave, she owed or he owed a lot of money towards the person that was trying to sell them. Who is this slave? Where does she come from? How is it that she has, she has come to a stand on the auction block before all the villagers without one stitch of clothing on to cover her body? Who is she? Who is she, you ask, says one man. Oh, she's no stranger in these parts. I can tell you for sure. She's the town whore. He answers in a tone of disgust because that's what everybody feels as she stands in the middle of the marketplace. That's right. She's got a reputation in these parts as the best prostitute in the region. Look at this woman, exclaims another auctioneer. Exclaims the auctioneer. She's worth more than seven shekel bid I've got. She's worth more. She's grown older, that's true. There are subtle hints of her former beauty. She has reached the point where men have rejected her because she is not one of the young ones. She is at the undesirable age but I believe that there's more profit potential left inside of her. It's going to be a miracle if anyone's willing to pay that much to get this woman because she's not worth that much. 
Another guy chimes in and he says, she used to be married, you know. Married? That comes as a surprise and opens a flood of other questions. We try to visualize her youth, her time of youth, when she was this exceedingly beautiful girl. Someone would have fallen in love with her. She must have fallen in love with some young man and they pledged their love to each other, wanting to believe the best. We picture this happy wedding day, right? Where, where everything was happy and everything was jolly and the, day, the, the days of wedded bliss as this couple began their married life together. Yeah, she was married to the preacher that once lived around here, said another person. This poor creature was married to the preacher. Well, people say that she was nothing but a tramp even before they got married, he continued. I'm told that they had three kids. Nobody knows for certain that they were his. Maybe one. Who knows if the other two were his? The oldest was a boy. Then there was a girl born. And after that was another boy, he said. At least the picture was getting a little more clear. This poor, naked creature that is in the center of attention on this blistering hot afternoon, standing on the auction block to be taken by the highest bidder, was once young, beautiful, and most of all, she was free. She was not a slave. She once knew the warm and tender embrace of a loving husband. In the process of time, she had, she had the joy of holding and loving three beautiful children. She was loved. This was a human being we're talking about. She was cared for. She was provided for. She was protected. Every one of her needs were met. She had a roof over her head, a warm bed to sleep in at night. She had everything. Someone standing nearby heard the last remark about her marrying a preacher and confirmed that he had heard too that she was in fact a prostitute before the preacher took her in. People wondered how a guy like him could love a girl like her. She kept stepping out on him. And that was the sad part. Nobody knows, of course, what happened. But one day, word got out that she was gone. Up and left. Left her husband, left her kids, left her house for everything. For what? It wasn't long before the answer to that question came. There was something about her old life that was too strong for her to deal with. In time, some old boy got a hold of her, convinced everybody that she was his personal property and made her work for him for a long time. As her worth, as her revenue dropped, he decided that it was time to get as much as money for her as he could, but now she's not worth the price of a piece of cloth to even cover her nakedness, but he'll try to get a couple of shekels if possible. After all, she might make somebody a good cook, uh, might make a good cook or a maid or something like that. That's if she stays at home. The auction was going slowly. But the woman's owner was willing to wait it out because she, he knew that he needed to get as much as, she, as he could for her. The feeling of most was that she was getting exactly what she deserved. It was her choice to go out to the streets as a harlot to sell her body to anyone willing. Why would anyone want such shiftless, no good tramp like this? Only a couple of men seem mildly interested in the building, bidding. Gentlemen, gentlemen, the auctioneer pleads, I have a 10 shekel bid. Is there any one of you willing to give me 11 shekels for this former beauty? 
Everyone there knows that he's merely trying to squeeze every single shekel from them. And in desperation, he says, listen, we must dispose this piece of flesh before we can move on to more profitable specimens we have here available. Let's move on. Please let me hear 11 shekels. End it, someone says. Yeah, close the bidding. Someone else chimes in. Let the fool who offered her 10 shekels have her. You're lucky to get that much. She's nothing but an old, burnt out, used up, worthless Someone shouts, get her down from there so we can get on to something worthwhile. And so this story progresses. All right, the auctioneer shouts, I have a bid for 10 shekels. Going once, going twice. For 10 shekels, going twice. For 10 shekels, going suddenly from somewhere in the back of the crowd, a voice strong and clear rings out. I'll give 15 shekels. I'll give 15 shekels and 10 bushels of barley. The auctioneer's jaw drops and he can't believe what he has just heard. Every head in the crowd turns to see a man who dared make such an unbelievable bid. See, the woman on the podium would probably lift her head, but she didn't. As far as she was concerned, this was just another stranger who would take her, use her, maybe even abuse her, and ultimately cast her away. The stranger makes his way to the front, counts out the 15 shekels into the hands of the seller and unloading the bags of barley for him to keep because that's what he bought her for. The slave woman expects rough hands to grab her and jerk her down to the ground, pull her along the street in front of everyone who cares to look. After all, she is a slave. She had long ago given up the hope of, of a home, of a husband, of children. Long time ago, she had given up her own self-respect, lost all sympathy from the townspeople. She had no reason to hope, nor believe, nor dare believe that she would be treated any other way but like an animal she feels she is. But suddenly, she feels the smooth touch of a cloth being thrown around her shoulders falling down to below her knees, covering her nakedness. Strong hands tenderly touch her shoulders and a voice that said, Gomer, Gomer. She couldn't remember how long it had been since she heard that name spoken with such tenderness. She lifts her head, turns around to face that voice. Her eyes grow wide in astonishment as their eyes meet. And once again, he said, Gomer. Tears fill her dark eyes and trickle down both her cheeks as she whispers out the word, Hosea, Hosea, is it really you? Yes, says Hosea, embracing her. I've come to take you back home. You're going home, Gomer. I love you. You're my wife, Gomer. You're going home. The stunned crowd listens and watches in silence as Hosea gently helps her down from the podium. And he's heard saying in Hosea 3 and verse 3, you'll find this verse. He says, you must dwell with mine for many days. You shall not play the whole whore anymore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. He reestablishes his covenant with her. Arm in arm, they begin their journey back home. I don't know how many times I read that to just go over this message, but every single time I read that in my prayer time and in my preparation time, I couldn't help but break out into tears to see what grace and what mercy looks like.
See, that day, Hosea, the prophet of God, the preacher, took Gomer back home, his wife back home, not as a slave to work as a slave, think like a slave or act like a slave, without scolding, without condemnation, without, he takes her back home as his wife, not as a slave, just as empty as her life had been now, suddenly it's all changed, her emptiness has been filled, this poor, pitiful, worthless slave of a creature had just been redeemed and restored back to life. And this wonderful love story begins in the first chapter of the book of Hosea. In chapter number one, Hosea writes in verse number one, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wise, a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom for forsaking the Lord. So he, Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. I want to take a moment and break this down. Are you all ready for this? If you're taking notes, y'all can start taking notes. Hosea means salvation. All right, it, it's pronounced Hosea, or it's 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 from the the, the same the, the same word or uh, the same backdrop of the word is used for even the word Jesus. All right, it's 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 kind of a very there's a commonality between the two names. See, Hosea is the first of the so-called minor prophets. There were major prophets and there were minor prophets. Not because his prophecies were less important than that of Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel, who were the major prophets. It was simply that his book was much shorter than the others. His ministry spans almost 40 years and fits in, if you go to 2 Kings chapter number 14 to chapter number 20, that's where you can fit the ministry of this man. All right, chronologically, this book is out of place. Right? It's around the book of Daniel. It's way before. It's actually, this, this happened way before the time of Daniel, even. Right? Hosea was this contemporary of it, Isaiah. So Isaiah was ministering uh, okay, in, 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 in the north of, or south of Judah when, when Hosea was ministering in the north of Israel. So they both were ministering around the same time in two different places. This guy that was prophesying along with Jonah and Amos and Micah, Right? These were the prophets that were, that, that, were, that were prophesying at that time. But God is about to ask Hosea to do something crazy. He's about to ask Hosea, the prophet, the holy man, to do something insane. You know, church, God does strange things at times. The Bible is filled with it. It was a strange thing when he asked Abraham to slay his own son, Isaac. We didn't understand that, did we? It was strange when God told Moses to stretch out his rod over the Red Sea to part the waters. We're like, man, what, 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 what? Are you serious? It was a strange thing when God spoke through the mouth of a donkey to save an unsaved prophet's wife. It, it was life, sorry. It was a strange thing for, for God to ask Noah to build a boat, three football field worth of length when it never had rained ever before. It was strange. It was a strange thing that the walls of Jericho fell down from marching and shouting. It was a strange thing. God sometimes demands strange things out of people. What about prophets? God always demanded strange things out of prophets. Man, 
Children of God, there's something that I want to remind us. God sometimes requires some strange stuff out of us. There's some bold things that he tells us to do that he's testing our obedience with. Did you know that God asked prophet Ezekiel to eat a scroll, a book which would represent him eating the word of God and then to go to Israel to deliver a message? Come on. Like, I'm like, Lord, is that how you use like prophets back in the day? Like I was considering, I was like, Lord, I want to be a pastor, but God, I'm, I'm reading the stuff that you would like ask these pastors and prophets to do. And I'm actually reconsidering what my calling altogether, Lord, because this is weird stuff. He also asked Ezekiel to lie on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 more days to represent the number of years Israel and Judah would be punished. Oh, I can't. Come on. All to prove a point. Ezekiel was also asked to preach in a valley of dry bones so that they would come back to life. Imagine that. Just go to a dry bone, like valley of dry bones. Start preaching to them. Come on, somebody. Jeremiah was asked to construct a yoke complete with straps to wear around his neck to demonstrate the yoke bondage around the necks of Israel. In Isaiah 20, Isaiah actually walks around naked and barefoot for three years as a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles God would bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. Imagine if God asked me to do that here at Commission Church. Come on. That is a sight nobody wants to see. And let us not forget that he asked Jesus, the prophet of all prophets, to die on this piece of wood for the sins of the world. Like, take the Bible, open it, and start reading it. You will see strange things that God tasks people that he had called to do. There are some times that God calls you and me and says, man, I'm going to task you with certain things. But God is looking for obedience. Here's a man, here's a family that God was going to use. In verse 2, the Bible says, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take for yourself a wife of whoredom. First things first, before I speak to you, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to take you through this, this mental process, like, like what he was going. I want to pause and explore this background for just a second. What do I mean? Hosea was a young man like me, once upon a time, who was excited about ministry who was excited for what God wanted to do. Man, I remember when I started off in ministry, I wanted to do so much for God. I started preaching at the age of 12. I started preaching. I started going places. I started preaching in my church. I started preaching at my the small life group meetings. And I wanted to degrade in my things for God. I wanted to do, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. I wanted to preach the gospel to, to nations. I wanted to see people saved and baptized. There was so much in my heart that I wanted to do. Okay? Think about this man. Here's a man that's stepping out to ministry, and he's, in his mind, he's like, man, Lord, I want people to be saved. I want to prophesy. I want to say your words. I want to see people rush to the altar. I want to see all of that happen. He was probably preparing for ministry, and back then when we were preparing for ministry, you kept yourself holy. You never dated anybody. You never put yourself out there to make sure that you were part of the world. That didn't happen. That was like me growing up. My, my parents never let me date anybody. They said, no, you're not going to date anybody. That was one of the rules. I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to go, to go to no parties. We didn't have no sleepovers. We didn't, boys, boys were not supposed to date girls. Girls were not supposed to date, you know, boy, whatever way. I'm just, we were not allowed to do anything. My dad would be like, what girlfriend? 
I know a lot of y'all know what I'm talking about. Surprisingly, even after I moved, you know, I, I, I moved, my, my dad and my mom would say, as long as you're staying under this house, you, there's no girlfriend over here. No, no. And I, you know, it, it was, I, I believed in my heart that if that's what my parents told me to do, that's probably what was best for me. You know, the surprising thing was I moved out of my parents' home. I moved to the United States. Parents were not with me, but it was something that I just kept, kept in my heart because it was, a, it was something that I wanted to stick by and abide by because I didn't want to date somebody that I wouldn't marry. I wanted to, I wanted to keep that, 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 uh, that, that commitment that I had to the ministry, to the, the things that God had called me. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to date around. I didn't want to waste my time. I didn't want to waste my emotions. See, I, I wanted to marry a woman of God. I had these desires. I had a list, a woman that loved God a lot. And man, after waiting that long, I would be mad if God looked at me and said, Ashish, are you ready for ministry? Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Oh, come on, somebody. I would be livid. I would be mad. I said, Lord, I've kept myself for these many years. Come on, here's a man in ministry. God was about to use this man as an object lesson. See, by commanding Hosea to take a wife of harlotry, har harlotry God was, was to put Hosea in a place where he feels what God feels and it won't be good. He wanted to communicate that message to them. See, most of the Bible scholars I could, you know, I, I talked to during the preparation of this message because I wanted to get this clear. Not just in my reading, but I, I called a few of my, my, my Bible school professors and I was like, hey, I need to run this by you. I need to know the backdrop of this. A majority of them believe that Hosea would not go and marry someone who is currently living in sin. For that would violate what God has told us everywhere in the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible says that, that we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's true. But evidently, the Lord led Hosea to marry a woman who either lived a promiscuous lifestyle at some point in her past or was going to in the future. But it was a prophetic voice in saying, Hosea, you're going to marry this woman. And she probably has this past or she's probably going to have this lifestyle. Like, imagine knowing that you're going to get into that, that relationship with somebody that might hurt you, that might hurt your image, that might hurt your outlook, that might hurt your ministry. A lot was at stake. Here's a man that was called to do that. And in verse number three, so he went, the Bible says he didn't ask questions, there was not a to and forth, there wasn't a, God, can we just talk about this? Can we pray about this? Can we fast, Lord, can we? No, this was coming straight from God. There was nothing to pray about. God looks at him and says, go do it. And the next verse, the Bible says, so he went and took Gomer. You know what the meaning of the word Gomer is? The meaning of the word Gomer means perfect or complete. And that she was gorgeous. She was beautiful. She was stunning. I'm absolutely convinced. After all the reading that I've done and the studying that I've done and the talking that I've done to different people that, have, that, that, that influenced my life, I'm absolutely convinced that Hosea fell deeply in love with this woman. And they were married in the presence of their family, friends, after which they settled down into ministry. And he was this prophet. He was this preacher. They had this family. They had these, this, this son and these two, uh, two sons and, and a daughter. And in verse number four, the Bible says this, and the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel. Israel in the valley of Jezreel. 
All right, so calls his name Jezreel because I will punish you. That's what the Bible says. That's what his meaning says. God's punishment is going to come upon you. Verse number six, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will, not, I will no more have mercy in the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Like imagine this little girl. Her name is no mercy. My, like, hey, baby girl, what's your name? No mercy. You better not mess with me. You know? like, like, think about it. Like, like this is the image that she's, this, this girl has, right? Verse number, verse number um, seven, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by, by bow or by sword or by war, or by horse or horseman. Verse eight, but she, she had weaned no mercy. She conceived and bore a son and the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. So God uses his entire family just to communicate a message to the people of Israel. Like, imagine being a part of that family, Roshan. Like, imagine being one of the kids. Imagine being the prophet. Imagine being the wife. And you're like, God, why my family? Like, why me? See, there's so many things in this story that, that makes this story rated R. Not just one, not just two things. A lot of questions that I have personally. But in all of that, I conclude to many things that I want to discuss today. But as the story unfolds, we begin to suspect that of their three children, only the first one was truly the child of Hosea. Again, it was, it's pretty inconclusive, but it appears that Gomer had kind of fallen back into sin and had been sleeping with probably other men in the middle of their marriage. Because the Bible says this, but now look at verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The wording here is different than the first time it was used. It says nothing about a father. It doesn't say that she bore him a daughter. In verse number eight, and she weaned uh, no more mercy, and Gomer had another son. She had a son, but, but who was a the father? There's no mention of the father. This is where Maury was called into the picture, and Maury had to figure out who the father was. But you look at chapter number two, verses four and five, there's so much of clarity in this. Why do I know this? Because of this verse, he says, and, 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 and this man, this prophet says, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And so we have this family in the ministry torn apart from infidelity torn apart because of the infidelity of this wife. And this happens today. Not just in marriages, but in our spiritual lives. It happens to us as Christians. It happens to people in ministry. See, but the significant thing is in the story is that God told Hosea how to respond to this crisis in his marriage. Look at chapter number three. This is where we want to go. And this is, this is the main crux of this message. To go, go to chapter number three, and we're going to read from verse one to five. It's a very short chapter. And this is what the Bible says. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I was really disappointed the first time I read this. Because I was like, Lord, you hate fruitcakes. I mean, like fruitcakes, sorry. Uh, Christmas, mom used to make an amazing fruitcake. She, she still makes a fruitcake. And I'm like, Lord, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I you hate fruit, and a lot of people are like confused by this, but, but cakes of raisins are this cultish practice. They were offered to like idols, and they were like, you know, prayed over and stuff like that. So don't worry about it. We can still eat fruit cake. All right, Gomer has taken off again. The Bible says she's off. We don't know why. 
right? But she's off. She's taken off. She's escaped. No one knows where she is. She had it all, church. Like she had everything. She married way up. Am I talking to somebody here? Like this was not what she did, but getting married to Hosea was her way out. If that was her former promiscuous life, this was her way out of the hood, my ticket to a new life. Like if I was Gomer, that's what I'm thinking. Man, I'm blessed to be stressed. I'm blessed beyond measure. I'm like, like there's no way I can mess this up. Like a woman like me married to a guy like him, like I don't even know if he actually heard from God. He might be a false prophet, but hey, I'm getting out of this life. Somebody really wants to marry me, go for it. Come on, let's do this. But why did she leave? Perhaps it was out of boredom. Perhaps it was out of a feeling of neglect. Perhaps it was out of a sense of need, perhaps. Maybe she wanted to feel what, what the old life looked like. Maybe she wanted an escape. What it feels like without the pressures of being a prophet's wife, maybe. Maybe to dress a certain way, to speak a certain way. See, someone needs to hear this this morning. Are you ready for this? Someone needs to hear this. Your past was supposed to be a lesson. Don't make it a life sentence. So many of us need to hear that. Christians need to hear this. Do not make your past a life sentence. It was supposed to be a lesson. For some of us, when your past calls you, man, you got to hit the reject button. So many of us find it so difficult to do that. You know why? Some of us are unable to do that. You know why? How many of y'all have, have iPhones? You guys have iPhones, right? Call me, Janice. Call me real quick. Call me real quick. See, if Janice calls me on my phone, you better have me on speed dial, girl. <laughs> if Janice calls me, you know, I get her call. Oh, sorry. Let's try that again. So I have this option that says reject when Janice calls me. And all I gotta do is hit reject and Janice's call gets disconnected. Am I talking to somebody? And that's all, that's all I gotta do. But, but Jerry, call me. Go ahead and call me, Jerry. Call me. <laughs> if, if Jerry calls me, see, I'm on my phone. My phone's open, it's not locked, it's not in my pocket, I'm not looking at it. It's a completely different story when Jerry calls me because Jerry shouldn't take this long. Bro. <laughs> See, when Jerry calls me, I, can, I, can, I don't have that option where I can actually hit reject because I'm on my phone already. It's weird how the iPhone, have, have y'all ever witnessed? Yeah, it's, it's like you want it, but it's not there. It's like, remind me later. <laughs> have, have you ever been in that situation? It's like, it's like those are the only two options. Like so many of us are so engrossed in our own lives. Like, like, like you can't hit the reject button when you're on your phone. You, you can't. You can't hit reject when, it, when you're in, in your past, when your past is in your face. See, she's moving far from God. She's, she's living in her... How many of you have been there before where you feel like you're so far away from God? You know, I've, I've been in those places where I feel like I'm super far from God, but every single time I'm far from God, I'm like, Lord, why are you far away? God keeps asking me, who's moved? Like, like I'm the same unchanging God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Like, that's a challenge to me every single time. Like, I hear this all the time. Oh, Pastor, I'm just not feeling God today. 
Hey, God's been in the same place. Come on, am I talking to someone? He's, he's going to show up like Adam and Eve. He showed up at the same time in the same place. And what did he say? He said, where are you? Because he didn't move. They moved. See, that's the thing. The, the, the problem with our relationship with God, every single time we feel, we feel like we need to get away or we need to feel something different, we walk away, we wander away, and we feel like that's normal. And, and she's moving far away from God. This has to be a lesson for so many of us in our marriages. Men, women, can I tell you something? Like, your spouse cannot meet 100% of your needs. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but they, they can't. For people that are going to get married, you're like, no, I don't want to get married then. <laughs> maybe 80%. If you have an ideal, amazing marriage, maybe 80%, never 100. Why? Because no one's perfect. There is no perfect marriage. But this woman is about to trade 80% for a 20%. You gotta, you gotta listen to this. She, her 20% was that she needed to talk to someone. She needed someone that would buy her little gifts, that would text her occasionally, throw in those heart emojis. She needed someone that would compliment her hair and her dress. Come on, am I talking to somebody? She needed someone that could actually talk to her. She needed someone that could give her more spending money. There are some guys, your 20% is that you need someone to go work out with. You need someone to play video games with, grow up. I, trust me, I've heard that before, okay? In counseling rooms, I have heard that, oh, she just played video games with me. I'm like, what, really? Okay. Or this one's common, someone to just laugh at his jokes, women. Women, men love that, y'all. Like, you have no idea. Like, like someone said, if a, if a wife laughs at a husband's joke, it means that they have visitors. <laughs> Julie, you know what I'm talking about, right? She's, she's, she's like, she's laughing. But this woman ends up with so much more lesser than she had. Right, going after the 20%, she ends up with so much. Write this down, write this down if you're taking notes. Never let the things you want make you forget the things you got. Okay, write it down. I'm going to say it one more time. Never let the things you want make you forget the things you got. See, when the grass is greener on the other side, don't go there. Like, it's time to water your own lawn. Like, Husbands and wives, this is a lesson that you need to understand. It's, it's not jump ship. It's not the grass is greener there. Why is your grass not green? You're probably not fertilizing it. You're probably not aerating. You're probably not doing what it takes to your own lawn. You've neglected your lawn. The weeds have grown. And you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. My, my lawn just, it just sucks. My marriage is, you know, it, it was meant to be this way. No, it's not. It takes two to tango. Come on. There, 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 there's a process that has to happen, right? Like, like, and, and God looks at him and says, go again. That's the word he uses. He said, Hosea, go again. But God, she left me. Go again. Do it again. Go ignite the fire again. Ignite the passion again. And for some of y'all, I'm not talking to just husbands and wives. I'm talking to relationships here. 
I'm talking to people that have been broken, that have been hurt by past relationships, by people in the past, by churches in the past, by pastors, by leaders, by people you looked up to, by mentors, by best friends. He says, go again, love a woman who is, who is loved by another man. Man, that word captivates me. I titled today's message, go again because of this. It's, it's God reminding someone this morning to go again to the one who has turned his or her back towards you. Somebody needs to go again. Somebody needs to revisit something that happened in your life and say, I'm going to go again. What was Hosea's reaction? See, this is where it gets messy. Are y'all ready for this? Go get her, Hosea, is God's command. All right. what would, like, if I was Hosea, man, I was waiting for this moment to happen. I'm like, nah, God, I'm good. I'm good. Like, you told me to marry an adulterous woman? Like, I gave her a chance, God. I listened to you. Look what's happened. Nah, 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 nah. I'm out. I'm good. I was just wanting her to mess up to dip. So here I am, I'm leaving. I, I got better, you know, fish to fry. I got people to prophesy to. Come on, Hosea had grounds for divorce. Listen, query. Hosea had all, he had biblical justification to, and he could have chosen to divorce his wife. See, God doesn't command divorce, he allows it. Okay, you got to understand this. But God presents him with this challenge. And he says, go again. Because you are different. You're not of the world. See, you are a man of God. You are a Christian. You are a believer. You have inside of you what it takes to do it again. Someone say, do it again. You have what it takes to go again, Hosea. And that's why I'm challenging you. Do it one more time. This is Hosea's way out. I don't have to love her anymore. I can go back to my prophesying ways. I can go to what God has called me to do. This is the release that I've been waiting for. This is the legal release. See, the world will tell you to turn your back on him or her, it but, but, but God looks at you and says, no, that's what the world teaches, but I teach you unconditional love, and unconditional love is the despite of, the in spite of, the, the love that says, I know that that happened, and I know it's messed up, and I know that shouldn't have happened, and I know that you're the victim, but do it again, but go again, give another chance, go the extra mile. Am I talking to somebody? I want to encourage some people today to go the extra mile. So what does he do? He doesn't complain again. The Bible says in verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. In other words, all right, Gomer had somehow in that society become the property of another man. All right, she, listen to this. Like she left home. She was a prostitute. Not, not, not just was she a prostitute, but she probably borrowed money. She probably did some crazy stuff to where she even owed money to other people. Like, this is prodigal. Like, if you ask me, this is a story of the prodigal son, and, and Hosea was willing to do whatever it takes, how much ever it takes to make sure that he brings his wife back home. What is your covenant today? What covenant are you trying to uphold today is my question. Man, he was on a preacher's income. I don't know how many of y'all know preacher's income, but man, preacher's incomes are not that great. He was on a prophet's income. And the Bible says he took all the money that he had in savings. The very fact that he had to take goods 
to supplement the money that he had tells you that he took every penny that he had, everything from his savings, plus all the food that he probably stored up and that he was feeding his family with. He loads up his donkeys, drags himself out. It was a public spectacle. It wasn't a private hush-hush deal. It wasn't a, man, I'm a prophet. Can we kind of keep this low? Like everybody knows my name. No, everybody knows me in this city. I can't, I can't have my reputation damaged. That's God. No, no, no. It was a public spectacle. The bank knew that he withdrew all his money out of his bank. Like everybody knew that he was a talk of the town. People were talking about him. And in a public display of forgiveness, and in verse number three, the Bible says this, and I, was, I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Man, this unconditional love. It's so beautiful. And, and you see him saying, man, I want you to come back. I want you to be my own. I don't want you to live that lifestyle anymore. See, religion says this. If you change, God will love you. But the gospel says God's love will change you. And that's what Hosea was trying to communicate. The gospel in its pure essence. Hosea says, he, he doesn't say, man, if you change, I'll love you. That's not what Hosea is saying. He says, I love you so fiercely that you can't help but change. I want to challenge some people today. Don't love if somebody changes. Love that will cause change to happen. Are you able? Are you capable of it? You are. Hosea is saying, I'm going to pour out my love in a way that will change you. Worship team, you guys can get ready to come back up here and lead us in a time of worship, but... I'm about to close. So what does he do? In Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, he says this, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. I want you to listen carefully. See, marriages can either be one without problems or, or, and, and issues or, or, or an, like this, this normal marriage that we all go through are, 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 you know, marriages that we'll go through valleys in our lives, relationships that we will go through valleys in our life. It's called a valley of acor, a valley where we're going to go through tears. We're going to go through pain. And Hosea says, man, I'm going to be there with you in that valley. When we mess up, we're going to repent. That valley talks about how if you, you can cry and you can hug and you can repent and you can ask for forgiveness. And for some of us, for so many people here in the world, so many Christians, some people walk in this valley all alone. For some people, it's the valley of rejection or betrayal. For some people, it's the valley of adultery or pornography or deceit or depression. But God looks at you and says, there's, there's this door of in our counseling sessions that I do. We just don't feel connected anymore. We've lost, lost the connection. See, usually when people begin to feel disconnected from one another, the root issue of the problem is intimacy. Can I talk for a few minutes? Are y'all ready for this? See, there are a number of reasons that intimacy might decline. When I say intimacy, the first thing that would pop up in people's mind is something sexual, something very, very personal, right? There are so many forms of intimacy. There's spiritual intimacy that every Christian couple needs to experience in their lives. Spiritual intimacy comes from being in the Word together, 
studying the word together, praying for one another, praying with one another, worshiping together. There's power in that. There's power in that. There's recreational intimacy. It's the bond that's created and strengthened by doing activities together. See, recreational intimacy is at its highest and strongest when two people first meet. You always want to hang out with each other. You want to do stuff. You go out on dates. You'll find activities that, that you want to do. It, it could be something as, as, as mild as doing a crossword together. Or it could be something as, you know, exhilarating as jumping out of a plane together. Of course, with parachutes, but it's just spending time with each other. There's intellectual intimacy where, where the activity of connecting to one another by discussing certain issues. And it could be lighthearted. It could be talking about a favorite movie or it could be discussing politics or it could be a mental exercise with your spouse that reinforces that relationship cord. There's physical intimacy. It's just not sexual in nature. It's also non-sexual in nature. It's holding of hands or cuddling on the couch or a hug, which many women want. It's just not sexual in nature, married couples. Then there's emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is a sharing of one another's, one another's experiences with one another. You know who struggles with this? Men. How's your day? Good. You ask women the same question? They have hours worth of conversation that they can have with you. That's how we're wired. Men struggle with this. See, regardless of limitations, men are called to shepherd their wives' heart just as much as women are called to shepherd their husbands' hearts and his desires. And men, we need to be aware of that. Just as men feel most connected with physical intimacy at its highest, women generally feel most connected when emotional intimacy is at its highest. There are many reasons why gomers would walk out. There are many reasons why gomers would go into greener pastures. And these are just a, a few of those things that I just mentioned. See, here's the problem. Are you ready for this? Listen carefully. See, men often try to get physical intimacy via the root of recreational intimacy. Let's do some stuff. Let's do things together. And that might get us to physical intimacy. See, women, on the other hand, don't operate. So, so men operate that way thinking the women are on board. But women try to get emotional intimacy via the root of intellectual intimacy. They're more, let's talk about something and maybe we'll end up sharing our feelings. Maybe we can open our hearts up to one another. But it's so important, church, shepherd one another's heart. Shepherd your spouse's heart. Don't give an opportunity for that Gomer to walk away. It's so important. Hosea continues to love Gomer. Stand up with me. His adulterous wife, his love and faithfulness becomes this God's object lesson to all of Israel. Although they are going searching and, and, and going after other gods, gods in, you know, not capital letter G, but lowercase g, yeah? it could be gods of various nature. God chases after them. God was still faithful and loving. And for many of us, and I'm, I may have talked about marriages, for some of us, it's our spiritual lives that God is speaking to and saying, man, you're, you're far away from me. You're a gomer that keeps escaping in and out, in and out. 
every opportunity you get, you're like, peace out. And God's like, man, I want something more deeper. I want something more intimate than that. See, stories of unfaithfulness to God, they're, they're plenty. Men and women, continually, we seek intimacy with each other and with gods of our own making instead of this God that actually truly cares. Do you know that the unfaithfulness of Judas might have hurt Jesus so deeply? He had shared life with this man. A few hours ago, they had had their last meal together and they dipped their bread in the same bowl. Their hands may have touched, but later this man in the garden kisses Jesus. It was a kiss of betrayal though. It's, it's no different than us coming and lifting our hands on a Sunday morning or saying, Jesus, I love you when you don't mean it. It's no different than you and me coming and say, I surrender when you don't actually surrender. Because you're kissing Jesus, but the kiss is more of a betrayal. And, and I want to let you know that God is hurt. Like a faithful spouse, God listens for the phone to ring. Like a faithful spouse, he's waiting for the garage door to open. For the sound of the shoes rustling against the doormat or the key turning in the door. Waiting for the wife to come back home, waiting for the husband to come back home. For any sign that my loved one is home. And when we're finally home, he quietly asks us where we've been. He hugs us. He says, good night. And he says, you were mine, Gomer. You always have been. Good night. When you wake up, I'll still be here. When you wake up, I'll still be here. See, this chapter is perhaps chapter number three of Hosea's chapter. Probably, perhaps the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Such a short chapter, but one of the greatest chapters. Because it tells this, the greatest story in the entire Bible because it defines the word so in God so loved the world. One book in the Bible, one chapter, defines that word so, so beautifully. See, this love story from Hosea has its obvious parallels in the New Testament. You know, in Romans chapter 8, Paul asked these series of questions. I'm going to close with this. He asks a series of questions that ultimately cult culminate in this greatest question of all time. You ready for this? In, in chapter number 8, verse 31, question number 1. What shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Question number 2 in verse 33. Who dares accuses us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Come on. Question number three. Who then will condemn us? 
He says, no one for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And in verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? And that last question is the key question, church all the benefits and blessings that Paul mentions and this question and answer series are anchored solidly upon the rock of God's unfailing, unchanging, unshakable infallible eternal love and this is how he concludes in Romans chapter 8 verse 38 and 39 and I am convinced someone say convinced he says, I've done my thinking, I've done my research, I've asked people, I've asked God, I've searched the depths and the heights and the breadth and the width and everything. And he says, I am fully convinced. That word literally means nobody or nothing can change my mind. That's the literal meaning of that word. Nothing can change my mind. That nothing can ever separate me from the love of God neither death nor life Gomer neither angels nor demons Gomer neither fears of today or our worries of tomorrow Gomer not even powers of hell can separate us from God's love neither height nor depth nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord come on somebody that is a promise of my God that is a promise of my Hosea that keeps pursuing me no matter how much I walk out on him no matter how much I produce illegitimate kids through my actions through my words my illegitimacy has no stand my choices have no weight in the middle of the weight of his glory which outshines it all and I want to remind somebody today if you do not know that love of God I pray that you will experience that love and today that love is in the form of that cross of Jesus Christ if you have never said yes to Jesus I want you to consider saying yes to Jesus today there's somebody here that says, Pastor, what do I need to do? I, I know that God, God loves me. I know that Jesus loves me. I know that He died on the cross for me. I want you to put it into action. I want you to confess with your mouth and I want you to profess by faith. I want you to say, Jesus, you, you have my heart, you have my life, because I am this Gomer God that keeps going away from you. But if your love is what it says it is, that nothing can separate me from this love. I want a piece of that, Lord. And His love chases you, hunts you down, and reminds you that you are His. He keeps calling you, Gomer. Gomer, lift your head up. Lift your head up, it's me. I'm here. I'm here. And somebody needs to make that decision today. 
Hey, you probably gave your life to life. You've never given your life to Jesus today. And you're probably asking me, Pastor Ashish, how do I do that? It's by saying, Jesus, you are the savior of my life. You, you are my king. You are my Lord. It's the confession of your mouth. That's what the Bible says. To the confession of your mouth. As somebody that needs to make that confession, close your eyes with me all over this place. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.